0: Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning for the opportunity to study your word for all that you've given to us in Christ as a result of him dying on the cross for our sins and us trusting him to be that Messiah that you sent. We're grateful for the relationship we can have with you. May we manage it through confession of sin daily, moment by moment, as sins pop up into our life and we take the bait in the temptation process that we would choose to confess those things and get back in fellowship with you. Help us to understand those concepts a little more this morning as we look at stopping the flesh and the utilization of 1 John 1, 9 to deal with our sins again. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in our study on the Christian way of life, we have reached the place where we've identified that the Christian way of life is how you walk, not what you do when you walk. Um, it's how you operate, not the things you do. We are to operate as Christians spiritually, not from the flesh and when we look at the flesh and the spirit we have identified there's a difference between them uh, both in what they are and what they do we've looked at the fruit of the flesh we haven't looked at the fruit of the spirit yet uh, we may get there in the future we may just divert to the next part of the Christian way of life uh, study but when we look at the flesh it produces all those things which we identify as sinful So you can, like Paul, blame the flesh that you have for all of your sinful actions, but recognize, as Paul did in Romans 7, that you are responsible for whether you're operating from the flesh or the spirit by your choice. So you choose to let the flesh operate and lead, or you choose to let the Holy Spirit lead your human spirit and operate you spiritually. So all it comes down to is your choice. Are you going to walk according to your flesh Are you going to walk according to the Holy Spirit, leading your human spirit? So Galatians 5, 16 to 17, we've spent four, this will be our fourth week from these verses, and we're actually going to get just a review through these verses, and then we'll get to 1 John 1, 9, which we started last week and went through briefly. Galatians 5, 16 to 17 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So we've got the Spirit and the flesh, And when we studied this verse, we identified that what Paul was writing to the Church of Galatia was that if you walk, and this word means to live life, uh, that's the meaning, the literal definition is to go along a linear plane, which is why we say to live life, It's used symbolically to identify that you have started or been born and you walk through your life along the linear plane of time is the idea. So it means to go through your life, in other words. So there's a difference between the literal definition, the meaning, and the symbolism. We'll just highlight that real quickly. So when he says walk here, he's not actually talking about going down the street on the sidewalk and walking as you go along your way. This is actually talking about living your life, and it's talking about how you do it. We also looked at the Greek text and found out there was no definite article, which means that there's an emphasis placed on this word here. Because there's no definite article and because of the comparison between the flesh, we identified that this was lowercase spirit, referring to the human spirit. And it's in the instrumental case in the language In the Greek, so it's identifying that the human spirit is the instrument by which we walk. Now, before you get all upset with me, I want to make sure that any time that we talk about the human spirit and focus on the human spirit, you remember, bless you, that the Holy Spirit has to be leading the human spirit if you're actually walking by the spirit. You cannot walk by your spirit and be leading yourself. The Holy Spirit always leads the human spirit when you're operating spiritually. So while we're focusing, and while Paul is focusing here on the human spirit that you have after your your spiritual birth in Christ, what he's identifying is that you're walking this way because the Holy Spirit is leading you. So when we talk about being led by the flesh or the spirit, if we're walking by our human spirit, it means that we're operating spiritually spiritually. Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, who is leading us along, and spiritually we are following him. So, the Holy Spirit is always in view as well. One is the emphasis. It's like uh, on a stage, you have a lead singer and backup singers. Sometimes the focus will be on the Holy Spirit as he leads you in your human spirit, other times it will be on the human spirit as it's led by the Holy Spirit. So, here the focus is on your human spirit. Paul says it, walk by means of your human spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. This word here means to stop doing what you're already doing. It's not a command, but that's the identification. He says, if you walk by the spirit, by means of your human spirit, you will stop carrying out the desire of the flesh. Now, why is that? When we look at verse 17, because this is just verse 16, I said 17 up there as well. When we look at verse 17, we get the answer. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and still this is referring to the human spirit. No definite article in there. For flesh sets its desire against human spirit, and the human spirit, again, against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. These <coughs> never will we ever have our flesh and our spirit working together. Never. they accomplish two different things. One is spiritual in nature, one is not spiritual in nature. The Bible says that anything that we do that's not spiritual is sin. Everything that we do must be done from a place of dependency upon God through the Holy Spirit to lead us. If, I believe it's in Romans, I want to say chapter 12, verse 7. I don't think that's correct, but somewhere around that area. It's, the verse says, For whatever is not from faith is sin. And what it's talking about is that if we are not operating in our dependence upon God, if we're not depending upon Him to lead us through the Holy Spirit, that anything else is sin. It's pretty harsh, but it's also cut and dry. We like to think that, well, I may not be dependent upon God, but I'm still doing what He asked me to do. I'm just doing it my own way. Well, that's not following God's will. That's following your will. That's sin. It's not dependent upon Him to lead you and guide you. It's dependent upon yourself and what you think is right and wrong. So we see the spirit and the flesh working against each other, they will never work together. This is the problem that we will all face the rest of our life as believers. Let our flesh lead us, or letting the Holy Spirit lead our human spirit. That's what we'll face the whole rest of our life. It's a pretty simple choice, though. We do have to make this choice, even though we don't necessarily want to. Uh, our flesh is a part of us. It's not just this thing in us. It is a part of us, and we'll identify what that is here in just a minute. As a review, but because it's a part of us, we want to follow it as well. That's why we can know something is wrong and still do it because we desire to do it. Let's take a look at the word flesh as Paul's using it. It's the Greek word sarx. The term flesh refers to both the body of the individual and the soul of the individual, but the emphasis or the focus is on what we call the physiology of the individual. Physiology is the study of an organism and how it functions. So you look at the different parts of a person, take a look at like your wrist, and there's a number of bones in here, and there's ligaments and tendons, and all those work together so that you can turn your wrist almost completely around in 360 degrees. You guys ever notice that? You can't quite get all the way there, but almost. And if you were to stretch, you might try to get there. But because you have all those different parts working together, that's your physiology, you can pull off a number of things, such as r- riding upside down if you want to. It's possible, reaching for a doorknob and turning a doorknob open. A number of different things you can do just from that one component of your wrist. Now our body is made up a number of these different components, and ha- each have different parts and how they function. So, but we're not just talking about like the wrist. There's also the idea of the soul involved here, and the soul determines what the body does. The body has desires, it produces those desires, and the soul must say yes or no to them. The soul is also then defined in part by what it chooses. So when we talk about the flesh, we're talking about the body and the soul with an emphasis on what the body itself desires. If you ever had a craving for food, that's an idea of what we're talking about. The body desired that, your soul, you, your personality, your uniqueness, Said, said, mm, I'm going to go get that and took care of it. So the anatomy refers to just the structure, the parts. Physiology refers to how they work together. So the flesh refers to the body and the soul with a focus on the physiology, how the body functions. Now we have different feelings that result from what we see and perceive in this world. Those feelings then send chemical signals through our brain with hormones and things like adrenaline and endorphins and cortisol, and all sorts of good stuff. And all these things produce a feeling inside of our body. That's part of this flesh idea. We've talked about the flesh a lot. I'll leave our summary in that way once we get through this slide. The Greek word is sarx, as I mentioned earlier, and that's what Paul uses to emphasize physiology, the composition and function of an organism. So the difference is between focusing on who man is as a human being, which focuses on the personality of that person or the personhood of that person, and focusing on the body or the flesh of that person, the physiology. So the difference is between a, who that, that person is as, as a human organism rather than who he is as a human being. That's the difference. Same person, just a different focus. Focus on the organism aspect or the, the soul, the being aspect. It emphasizes also the sin nature within the individual. Almost every time the word fle- Sarks is g- going to be used in the New Testament, or you see the word flesh in the New Testament, it's going to be almost always referring to The sin nature of a human. Now it will say things like uh, Jesus came in the flesh. And what's it focusing on there? That he was a body. He did not have a sin nature. So that's one of those times where it does not refer to the sin nature. But Sark's, when it's addressing the New Testament believer, is almost always going to be referring to the sin nature. Now in our sin nature, we've got a less pattern behavioral trend. uh, We're not going to go through that. We've gone through that a number of times. Uh, If you have questions, you can go to the church website and listen to the audio from it from previous weeks. Galatians 5.18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then verse 19 to 21 gives us the deeds of the flesh which are evident. Now this is, again, not an entire, complete, exhaustive list. Because when we get towards the end of it, I don't know if Paul got tired the Holy Spirit just said those things are enough. We can just add the phrase, and things like these. So there's immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and the things like these, which pretty much sums up any other thing done by the flesh. Now, immorality we saw was any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a wife. Impurity is the result of having done things that are wrong in any arena, like a criminal who's been charged and sentenced with the crime. He is a criminal. He has a criminal record. That's a soiling on his record or an impurity in his life that's been marked down historically. Sensuality means that you just throw caution to the wind. You don't care about right or wrong. You're just going to do whatever you feel like. Idolatry refers to placing something over you in authority that should not be there. Anything besides God should not be an authority over you, including yourself. Sorcery, this is the Greek word pharmakia. It refers to taking drugs for the purpose of altering your mental or biochemical state. Because your body has a chemistry to it certain hormones and um, chemicals and they keep everything in balance Uh, if you've ever had what we call heartburn there's too much stomach acid built up in your stomach and so you need to balance it out you take a little tum tablet thing little chalky pill thing that tastes terrible most of the time but after about five minutes all of a sudden you start feeling better why it changed the chemistry in your stomach it dropped the acidity down to a less less acidic level So there is a reason to study chemistry. It's amazing stuff, what God has designed our bodies to work in. So the sorcery idea is not that they're doing witchcraft and that kind of thing. The Greek word pharmakia identifies that they're taking drugs to change their chemistry in their body or their mental state. They want to hallucinate. They want to get a high of sorts, uh, depending on whatever it is including things like antidepressant or something like that. They, they don't want to feel sad, so I'm going to put, put this thing in my body so that I don't feel sad about life anymore. And all it does is change the way your body responds. Uh, when the pill wears off, you're left in the sad state again, and then you have to take the pill, and you start becoming addicted and dependent upon that. So this is referring to any drug taken to alter your mood, your mentality, or your chemical composition in your body. Enmities means that you've drawn a line in the sand and are facing another person uh, ready to fight. Strife refers to the struggle that comes as a result of believing different things. Jealousy means that you want what somebody else has. Now, it doesn't mean that you want one like it. It means that you want that one. If you're jealous of someone, it means that you want the thing that they have, and you don't want them to have it. Envy, down here, we'll get to a little bit later, is saying, I want one like it oh, that's so cool. You've got an iPhone 12. No one has that yet, so we can all be envious of that if you want. I've got an iPhone 12. I want one too. Or the jealousy side of it is, you've got an iPhone 12. Give it to me. I want that one. That's the idea. So jealousy means that you want what the other person has and don't want them to have it. Envy means that you want one like theirs. Outbursts of anger. Uh, this is a boiling pot on a stove. If you ever put a boiling pot of water on the stove, what happens? Water boils and boils and boils, at some point it bubbles over. Uh, especially if you try to make mac and cheese and you put the noodles in there, the macaroni in there, what happens? The starch builds up and then it boils over. So you got to keep stirring it, otherwise it'll boil over. That's the outburst part, when it boils over. So this means that something is bothering you below the surface, and someone, it could be anyone, whether they started the process or not, comes up and you just blow up on them, outburst of anger. Dispute, this means you have a difference of opinion from someone else. A dissension means that you have now a difference of belief. You have a difference in what you believe between someone else, and you're going to, s- excuse me, you're going to bring other people along with you in that idea. So dispute is, like if Peterson and I disagreed on something, we would have a dispute. But if Peterson and I then went to, I went over to here the girls' couch, or Peterson went over to the boys and said, you guys got to agree with me, and you guys said, okay, and then I said, you guys have to agree with me, now we've got dissension where now it's other people are involved in the dispute. And what we've just done is created a faction. We've got Peterson's faction and my faction. A faction is a separate group of people who are believing the same thing and working against another one. So in the church, what usually happens, we get a dispute. Well, you taught this, and I disagree with that. And then it, tell, it goes to someone else. Well, that person taught this, and I disagree with that. And that begins to build dissension, where there's now murmuring and stuff going on. And then you gets to, well, I agree with this person, I agree with that person, I'm on his side, I'm on her side. That's a faction. So they work in ta- um, in tandem. They work together. Can't be tandem because it's only two. But um, they work in tritum. There's a new word for the day. tritum. Three things working together. Not a real word. Don't use it in your school reports. So it starts with disputes, goes to dissension, then goes to factions. Then envying means that you want what another. You want something similar to what another person has. Drunkenness means that you are. Basically, the idea here with the drunkenness is alcoholically drunk, but it refers to anything that is le- um, controlling you. So you can be drunk off something besides wine or beer or alcohol, uh, but the focus here is primarily on the alcohol idea. Carousing, this means that you are just going out, having a good time. Again, you're being immoral in all that you do. It usually refers to sexual activity. It could refer to also being ruckus or starting fights, picking fights. Um, And then you get the things like these phrase, which just comes in to say, this is an exhaustive list, this isn't a complete list, but you can get the picture. I'll go on to something else. So it says uh, all these things and then things like these. Now the part we dealt with last week was the part where it says, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now in Galatians 59 or 5.21, the question that arises from this last phrase about the forewarning is that so is Paul saying that these people who are doing these things, operating from their flesh, are not going to heaven? No. And here's why. He's creating a comparison, saying, and he's already dealt with in Galatians, the whole reason he wrote the book is because you had believers who started Sp- walking spiritually, but then went again and started walking according to the flesh. They started going back to the old way of doing things. And so you have believers who are supposed to be spiritual beings walking spiritually, walking according to the flesh just like unbelievers. And so he's made a comparison throughout this book about them being just like unbelievers, and he's doing the same thing. He's already told them that these actions are things that unbelievers do, and he's identifying that the unbelievers won't inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they haven't depended upon Christ to pay the penalty for their sins. But... These people have, so their sins are charged to Christ, even if they're doing these things in this list. But they're operating like someone who hasn't depended on Christ. And his whole point is to tell them to stop operating from the flesh and start operating spiritually because they're different than those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Take a look at a word real quick here. So he's creating a comparison between the unbeliever and the believer and saying, you're walking just like you're an unbeliever, but you're to stop doing that, walk spiritually so that you don't carry out the deeds of the flesh like those who are not inheriting the kingdom of God. That's the distinction he's making. So it doesn't mean that if you do these things in your life that you're going to lose your salvation. What it means is you're operating as if someone who's not saved. We are different than unbelievers. We are children of God, and we will be dealt with through discipline. Now, what if you're doing these things? We've, we've dealt with this passage and this group of verses under the, the heading of stopping the flesh. Because we've looked at the flesh, we've looked at how it operates through sin nature and, and the process of temptation. We've looked at a number, number of these things before. And as we've progressed in that, we've realized that if we're going to operate spiritually, and we've understood that if w- that the Bible says that if we're going to operate spiritually, that we have to stop Excuse me, stop walking according to the flesh. So we've started this series of how do we stop that. And we dealt with the different evidences like we just did and res- like we reviewed. And then ultimately, we came to this conclusion. First John 1 John 1.9 is the way that you stop walking according to the flesh. Now, I wonder if I have... Let's see if we can get our diagram back up here. Almost had it. There we go. That'll work. Wow, we're back at like slide three. So, believer depends upon Christ to be a savior. He takes the penalty for their sins. He's already paid it. Now it's charged them. God takes them out, puts him in Christ. He's the dot. This is the circle. The circle is Christ. We call it a sphere, but on our diagram it's only two-dimensional, so it's a circle. So you are, when you're saved, you're placed in Christ. You are a child of God, you're secure in Christ, the Holy Spirit seals you until that day that you leave this earth and are in heaven for eternity. When you walk with God, fellowship is what we refer to the walk as, and that's what John uses the term koinonia to refer to our walk with God, our relationship with him. So we're saved, we're secure, our position in Christ is complete, but we're either in fellowship with God or out of fellowship, the preposition ice identifies motion from outside of something into something. And then the thing that it's noting here is that you can go out of fellowship and in f- into fellowship. When you're saved, you're placed into it. But then when you sin, first or James chapter 1, 13 to 16, when we fall victim to temptation and choose to take the bait in the trap, we leave fellowship. Why? Because we've stopped walking in commonality with God. God cannot sin. If God were to be tempted, which he cannot be, according to James 1.13, he would never take the bait. Why? Because he's righteous. Now, our position in Christ, we're told and declared to be righteous because we're in Christ, and Christ is righteous. But in our walk, we have to choose whether we're going to walk in obedience to God or walk in obedience to our flesh. If we walk in obedience to God, then we're walking righteously for that moment. But the instant we choose anything outside of his will, the instant we stop letting the Holy Spirit lead us and take something outside of that, we start walking unrighteously, carnally we call it. James 1 13 to 16 is the simplistic way for us to identify that. There are other verses that can deal with that as well. So how do we get back to fellowship? So in here you're walking spiritually. Well, we identified when we studied the book of 1 John, and Ephesians 5:18 identifies this, f- which says, Do not be drunk with with wine for that is dissipation, but, on the other hand, be saturated to the point of control by the Holy Spirit, what you're being told to do is let the Holy Spirit lead you. Be saturated to the point of control by the Holy Spirit so that whatever comes out here doesn't matter. You're letting the Spirit lead you, and that's your focus. So when you're in fellowship, that's when you're operating spiritually with God. You cannot operate carnally and be in fellowship with God. But when we take the bait in the trap, James 1, to 16, we stop operating spiritually and start operating carnally and that means according to the flesh. we've now chosen to let what our body wants dictate what we're going to do this is why it's hard because it's not just something external to us something outside of us saying try this It's us also in our body and part of our desire saying, I want to try that. I want to do those things. I want to enjoy that. I want to be in control of my own life. And that's why it's carnal versus letting the Holy Spirit lead us and submitting our choice, our ability to make choice to him. So when we walk in fellowship, we're walking spiritually. We walk out of fellowship. We're walking carnally. That's why we get to 1 John 1, 9. After we after we get through this stopping the flesh part. Because out here we're walking according to the flesh, and how do we stop that? We can't stop it in any other way but to confess our sin to God the Father. And that's what first John teaches us. Let's get all the way back to where we were at. So in the book of first John, John says that fellowship is the tool that we have to carry out the will of God to operate spiritually like Christ did. In verses one through four of first John chapter one, he identifies that Jesus Christ lived a physical life as a spiritual being operating spiritually. He was really here as a man, but he was operating different than any man before him had. He was operating spiritually. And he did that from the first breath to the last breath, to his resurrection, and then up to the ascension. So he operates spiritually his entire life. That's our goal. That's our job. He's the prototype for us. Our job is to operate spiritually every moment. Now, we have a sin nature that we fall victim to. And I say fall victim, but really, we enjoy it. We choose. We're not really a victim to it. We like it. That's why we do it. If we didn't like sin, we wouldn't do it. You ever think about that? The only reason we do sin is because we like it. We may not like the consequences. We may may not like how we feel afterwards. But the only reason we do it is because we like it. Even if we know it's wrong, even if we know that it's not right, even if we know it's not best for us, we still go back to it. Why? Because we have this lust inside of us that says, I want to consume these things. I want to enjoy these things and have these things. That's the flesh. We're trying to stop that. But when we fall to that and in our volition choose to let the flesh lead us, we've got to find some way to stop it. And this is what scripture says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we dealt with this verse briefly last week. We'll get a little more into it. The we here is referring to believers. The book of 1 John is written to believers. A lot of times this verse will be taken out of context and we put into application as if john were speaking to unbelievers if you as an unbeliever confess your sins then you will be saved that's not what he's saying but that's how people take it many times this book is written to believers and it's talking about the fact that we as believers have the potential to have fellowship with god commonality with him in our actions and our thought in our operation or we can stay having commonality with this car- with this world in carnality we have one or the other. Right now, you're either in fellowship or not. You're either in fellowship with God the Father and come out with him, or you're being led by the, your sin nature and are carnal. In any given moment of the day, that the same statement is true. That's why I can say it any time. You've probably heard it before. <laughs> said it last Sunday. I said it uh, when we studied First John. I've said it all over the place. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. At any moment, you're either in fellowship or out. It's on or off. It's not, well, I'm kind of in fellowship with God because I agree with him over here. No, if we disagree with God in any way, on what is right and what is wrong and we're aware of that we're out of fellowship being in fellowship means that we are in line with his authority structure and his thought process and he teaches us and removes those things from us as we're taught that are sinful and wrong in our thought process but if we're not yielded to that then we won't let him do that and we remain carnal so it's how you operate it's not something you can achieve and be completely spiritual the rest of your life. Ha, ah, I've made it. I've, I've been spiritual 12 days in a row. I will always be spiritual from this point on. No. We really don't make it very much past a minute or two if we're lucky. And I don't really believe in luck, so it tells you what I think about that. The, the idea here with fellowship with God is as a parent and a child relates to one another and the child is obedient to the parent, there's harmony, there's commonality. The parent is setting the, the, the direction for the child, the child is following it. And the instant the child breaks and follows something else besides what the parent has or has set up or directed, there's disagreement in the family. And there's disharmony. And a good parent will discipline. Don't ever think that because your parent disciplines you that they don't like you or love you. The fact that they're disciplining you means they care more about you to deal with the problem going on than they would do to just let it go. Discipline from a parent means that they love you. Never confuse that. And you'll want to at times. You won't understand it at times, but discipline is always as a result of love. Now, the way they discipline may not be loving but the fact that they are trying to correct your behavior to something that is right means that they love you and care about what's right and best for you more than what you want and that may seem like that means they don't care no what it means is that they love they will do what's best for you regardless of the response they receive from you and that's bigger than caring about what you want we all want people to care about what we want we enjoy that But discipline means they love you. And our Heavenly Father disciplines us. We're walking outside of fellowship with Him. He disciplines us. Now that looks different than our earthly parents. The Bible says our earthly parents punish us many times. Take something away, inflict pain, whatever, to get us to do something different than what we're doing in our behavior. But the Father disciplines us. He brings about circumstances that allows us and creates this, uh, this potential for us to choose in that moment to trust him instead of ourselves or someone else. So a situation will come up that you don't go, I don't know how to get through this. That's partly discipline. Have you been following him before? If you have, then you already know how to get through it because you just keep doing what you're already doing. If you're not following him in that moment, that's the time to say, I don't, when you say, I don't know what to do here. Y- yes, you do. You know someone who knows all things. God is omniscient, all-knowing, completely knowledgeable of everything both real and potential. He knows what's actually going to happen and what could happen. Everything he knows. And if you don't know what to do, your job at that point, when you say that, recognize, I don't know what to do, but I know someone who does. And turn your attention to the Father. Father, I have not been following you. I've been following myself. And I'm at a loss here with what to do. What do you want me to do here? And trust him to provide that answer for you. Don't go seeking it out. That's, in ass- essence, confessing the sin of leading, being led by the, the uh, flesh. If believers confess our sins, the word confess means to speak the same thing. What do we call that? Let's say Peterson and I got over our dispute, whatever it was. And now we are speaking the same thing. What are we doing? There's a word we have for that in English. Agree. In essence, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I agree with you on my sin. That was sin, and I did it, and I agree with you that that's not what I should be doing. That's in essence what confession is. The Greek words homo means to speak the same thing. Who are you speaking the same with? God. You're agreeing with God on your sin. God says that's sin, and you say, yes, it was. If we speak the same, if we agree with God on our sins, those places where we miss the mark, look at this. He says it, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful means that he depends upon something. Now, there's a reason he's depending upon something here and it's so that we can f- he can forgive our sins the greek f- word hina is here and it means for the purpose of or in order to it identifies that an action is done for the purpose of carrying out something else So God is described as being dependent upon something else for the purpose of forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. What is he depending upon? What Christ did on the cross. He says, you are my child. Your sins have been paid for. Your debt has been paid. We have to deal with this and get rid of it from your life. We have to take this away from you, this action, and that's the forgiveness part, but because your sin has been paid by Christ, the sin is charged to him, and we're going to forgive you of this and take care of it. The penalty has already been paid for, so he's being faithful to what Christ did on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin as his child, and the word just here refers to his righteousness. Because God is righteous, he must oops, carry out justice. If you break the law in this, in this United States of America, in Yakima County, let's say you go to the store and you steal something, there's a penalty for that. A couple different levels of penalty for it, actually. If you just steal something that's less than $500, you can pretty much get away with a warning or a misdemeanor, depending upon how the officer feels that day. If you steal something greater than $500, you're probably gonna get a misdemeanor. And if you steal something greater than that, you're probably gonna get a felony. You steal like an auto, a car, it's grand theft auto. You've stolen a car. And there's a big punishment for that, right? So the idea with righteousness is righteousness says, this is what's right. And justice says, this is what must be paid or dealt with, what must be done if this standard is violated. So if you go steal something, from a store and the store wants to press charges, they will bring an officer in, he will do a write-up and say, this is what you did, it's called shoplifting. Do you understand what you're being charged with? And at the end, he'll say, you need to sign this ticket to identify that I've read you your rights and I've told you what you're being charged with, but it's not an admission of guilt. Now, why does he say that part? Because there's a court date coming up in which you will be found guilty or not guilty by a judge who's supposed to uphold the standard. And so the judge knows the standard, and he says, I've looked at your report here. I find you guilty. Your penalty, what what you owe society for what you've done, in order to make this just and right again, you must spend 30 days picking up trash on the side of the road. That may seem harsh, but you're not going to jail, so happy day. Hopefully none of you guys ever get into a position where you have to go before a judge like that. It's a matter of choice. But the idea behind it, when you go to a judge, is he says, This is the standard, you violated it, the penalty for that is this. God is faithful to what Christ has done, and he is just, which means that because he knows the standard, because he is righteous, he must carry out the penalty for that. But he's just because the penalty has been paid by Christ. And so rather than saying, no, Christ had paid the penalty for all of your sins until this point, but you've done this thing now, I'm going to make you pay the penalty for it. No, he's faithful to what Christ did, and he charges it to Christ, and he says that that is just to do, because Christ was innocent and paid the price f- for you. Now, he's faithful and just. He depends on what Christ did to pay the penalty for you, and he holds that standard of justice for the purpose of forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Now, the Greek... Here and here is plural. What we identify is that if we choose, maybe we will, maybe we won't, but if we choose to confess our sin, one of them, that God forgives us of the rest of our sins from the time that we were in fellowship last to the time that we just confessed. Because what happens is when we sin, we start sinning all over the place. And I don't mean like the big sins like shoplifting or lying or those kinds of things. I mean just independent operation from God. The moment we're out of fellowship, if we're commanded to have harmony with God and be obedient children following His will, every moment we're not in that is a moment of sin. And so, when we sin that first time, take the bait in the trap or whatever happened, from that point we start off all these other moments of sin, where we're walking as rebellious children. So when we confess to taking the bait, the sin that we co- that we took or chose to do, everything that's in between that point of when we sin and the point of our confession is dealt with also by God. So we don't have to confess every single sin. We confess sin. And God deals with all of those sins. The Israelites actually had a daily offering, five daily offerings. One was for known sin, and one was for unknown sin. And what it spoke of for us is this idea that if we confess our known sin, he takes care of the unknown sins. Because there are things that we do that are sin that we don't have any idea. Because we haven't been taught yet by God that those are sin if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive this word means to send off if you're going to be just as a judge you cannot just say yes you're guilty yes you did it but I'm not going to have any penalty invoked here I'm not going to charge you with any penalty you're not going to have to do anything to make up for it if you're going to be a righteous just judge if you're going to uphold the law you have to. And there are judges who say, I feel for you in this situation. I recognize that there are some things that led to a vulnerability here. But you still made the choice. You're still at fault here. And I, as a judge, have to uphold the law and charge you with some penalty, even though I personally would not want to. There are judges in court cases that that's happened, where the court sees the guilt but doesn't want to apply the penalty because he feels empathetic for that person's situation. But a righteous judge, one who is faithful to the standard, will always enforce a penalty to bring about justice we have the sending off of our sins because God is faithful to Christ and him paying the penalty so he doesn't just say oh you're my child if he's the judge in front and we go in front of God the father and we say yes I did that I'm guilty he doesn't go say oh okay well I'm not going to invoke any penalty he says, no your penalty's already been paid by Christ it continues to be paid by him You've upon him to pay the penalty for your sins at salvation. And now in this moment, he's paying the penalty again for that sin. What he did on the cross, we're charging it to that. So he can send off our sins and forgive us of them. Not because we have some in or because we're better than other people or whatever because we're not. We're all sinners but because Christ has already paid the penalty. So where he would say, okay, the penalty for sin is death. Oh, look, here's death over here that you are depending upon to pay the penalty for your sins. So every time you sin, it gets charged to Christ. That's why he can forgive you of your sins. If it's not charged to Christ, he can't forgive you of your sins. He can't just say, okay, we're going to turn a blind eye to that. We're going to ignore that and still be faithful and righteous. He can't be. But Christ has paid the penalty. So, because you're a child of His, and depending upon Christ to pay the penalty for your sins, He can say, You've done this, you're guilty, it's charged to Christ, the penalty has been paid. I am cleansing you from that. And it says that He cleanses us away from the source, in the Greek text, of all unrighteousness. Well, what's the source of our unrighteousness? Our flesh. And so He says, I am cleansing you, washing the dirty part of you off, putting you back on the shelf as a clean vessel. To be used the next time I need you. I have cleansed you from your sins. I've forgiven you from your sins. And I've taken you away from the source of your unrighteousness. And now you're operating spiritually. First John 1.9 is how we stop operating carnally and start operating spiritually. Now it doesn't mean that just because we confess our sin, that we're not going to c- go carnal again. We may go carnal the very next minute. You can confess your sin and agree with God that what you did was wrong and sinful. And someone comes in your room at home or walks down the street and they say something to you and you're like, what did I do? Oh well, look, now you're doing self-righteous justice. Now you're saying, I'm going to take this up on myself to figure out what's going on rather than saying, God, what happened here? And depend upon him to guide you through it. So we have to confess our sin moment by moment. When a sin occurs, confess it. Because if we're going to develop this momentum and ability to operate spiritually for more than 10 seconds at a time, We have to be faithful to our Heavenly Father in confessing when we violated His rules of the family. And if we don't do that, we're just going to operate carnally and think that we're A-OK because our sins are paid for ultimately by Christ. But our job is to operate spiritually, not carnally. So the way we stop the flesh is by confessing it every time it happens. Confess your sin, get back in fellowship, let God lead you again. Are there any questions? I know it's a lot to put in there in one Sunday morning, especially with the review trying to get some more information out there. We'll continue in our study on the Christian way of life, how to operate spiritually uh, next week as well. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us, for your faithfulness and righteousness, so that when, even after we are saved by you through our dependence upon Christ to be our Savior, you continue to abide by your standard. And charge our sins to Christ. Thank you for the penalty he paid. For the life that he lived that made him available as a sacrifice. For your calling on him to be that sacrifice. And for the propitiation of our sins and the sins of all the world. That he took care of on the cross. We pray that we would be faithful to you as our heavenly father. To confess our sins moment by moment when we find that we're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Develop these ideas further in us during the course of the week as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, head over to church. We're going to start pretty shortly here.